0: welcome to season three of the yoga therapy hour podcast my name is amy wheeler and i'm your host we are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy and we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two. And you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called optimal state with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video. Maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings. These videos on YouTube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please Nourish yourself, take time for yourself, and really relax into listening to the podcast. I'd like to welcome Lori Highland Robertson, who is the IAYT editorial director and part of the conference organizing team for Sitar. Sitar is the Symposium of Yoga Therapy and Research. Welcome, Lori.
1: Thanks so much, Amy.
0: Thanks for coming to talk about the conference. I know so many people are thrilled to be going back in person. And after a two-year absence from one another, cannot wait to hug each other and to be together again. But there's also an online option for SITAR 2022, which I'm really grateful for because I'm not able to travel this year. And it just makes so much ease and you still feel like you get to be part of the community. Online, so I'm I'm thrilled that the way all of you have organized this. I'm sure it's twice as much work, and we thank you for thinking of all of us, the people who can come and want to come, and also the people who are not able to.
1: It's really exciting to be able to offer these different formats. The technology has gotten so much easier. You know, I'm able to talk to you from. I'm happen to be in North Carolina today, and and it's wonderful to be able to join you. From here and yeah, it's just really been exciting to think about the possibilities for how can we make our umbrella bigger. How can we invite more people under it? And the virtual conference option is a great way
0: of doing that. So thanks for mentioning that. I'm so excited to see all of these changes in IYT, and I know that some of this is due to the pandemic and everyone getting on Zoom is now the norm. But also, in addition to offering some online content for the conference, a lot of online content for the conference. You're also doing things like World Bank countries can get a major, major discount if they'd like to come. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that just highlights the way that IOYT is being very, very inclusive of people all around the world. It's a great
1: point, and so the conference discounts for folks who are from countries identified as low or lower middle income by the World Bank—that's something that IYT has done for years, mm-hmm. and I don't think a lot of people knew about it. But like you said, it's a great conference discount, um, and starting last year, we expanded that idea a little bit more to offer. Uh, additional discount, well not additional, but to also offer a discount for people of the global majority. So, you know, if they feel that that would be helpful and supportive for them to attend the conference, that discount is available as well. And you can find all of the details about those discounts on the registration page of the website, which is IAYT.org slash S-Y-T-A-R 2022. That's IAYT.org slash SITAR2022 and you'll find the the information about the discounts at the bottom of that homepage for the conference, and it's also on the registration page.
0: Thank you for pointing that out, and you know, it seems to me that IYT in general is really getting involved in diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. We're seeing changes at all levels of the organization, and I think this year's conference content really highlights that. We have some really high power speakers coming in to talk to us about things like colonialism and how the colonial mind has shaped yoga and yoga therapy with Sean Ranganatham. And we also have another speaker that I'm so excited to hear from, and that is Marshawn Feltus. So can you tell us a little bit about what Marshawn is going to help us understand and talk about at the conference as one of the keynote speakers.
1: Yeah, so Marshawn Feltis is an absolutely inspiring individual. He's from the Chicago area and came to yoga while incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that he'll share a little bit of, of his story during his keynote. But his talk is going to be partly a response to what he takes in during the conference. He's going to be with us from the beginning of of the conference and taking it all in alongside the rest of us. And so he's going to be talking about what has inspired him and hopefully in turn inspiring us. In fact, I'm sure he'll be inspiring us. And talking about the, the ways in which we can activate ourselves and activate our practices, our personal yoga practices, our yoga therapy practices as professionals, how can we activate ourselves to make change and to make a difference? So I think it's going to be a really unique offering. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled that, that he's able to join us. He was originally scheduled for 2020. Oh my. We had, yeah, we had to postpone things for, you know, because of the pandemic, we didn't have a sitar at all in 2020. And so we so we were able to sort of save him for for this year that we're able to, to actually do it in Chicago. So we're we're really happy that he's gonna be able to join.
0: We also have a number of other amazing speakers. We have Catherine Cook Catone, who's going to be talking about yoga therapy, embodiment, and the pathways to healing. And then we have Adana McCarthy, who's a yoga therapist and a U.S. Army major and a physician assistant who is going to be talking about uncovering opportunities in yoga therapy advocacy. So we have such a great lineup for keynotes, and we have a new format for workshops. Originally, for the last, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven years, we've done these things called CICs, which I'll let you talk a little bit about. And now we've kind of gone back to a traditional workshop format for the pre-conference. Can you talk a little bit about what's going to happen in those workshops in the pre-conference?
1: Right. So it's a little bit different than, as you said, than the common interest communities that we did for a number of years. The workshops this year are organized around a central idea that we can get into small groups and really dig into that central idea and part of the reasoning behind that is that there is a lot that you can do when you spend some time in a like-minded group of professionals and colleagues digging into one particular concept there's a lot that can come out of that and there are a number of different ways in which what results can be used so I'm excited to see not only how the workshops promote connection and interpersonal learning, which of course they will, but also what will come out of them and what we might do with the central ideas that emerge.
0: You know, both this and Marshawn's talk it strike me as very innovative and almost like the community is going to inform the community, right? That we're in a process of change and transformation, and we are willing to listen and be open and and allow whatever emerges to come forth, which is kind of exciting. It, it's like, ooh, what's what's going to happen? <laughs> well
1: said. I I agree. It's, it it uh, we don't know what will come out of it, and and there that's the beauty of it. There's always something that. I would not have thought of personally, and you would not have thought of personally. And together, we can come up with ideas and ways forward that we absolutely would not be able to do on our own.
0: And I think that's kind of the overarching theme of sitar 2022 is this mm, commitment to many perspectives, many voices, many different ways of being in the world and still finding the unity within all of those different perspectives. And that is that we all love yoga therapy and we want to move it into the world so that we can be of service. Yeah, absolutely. So sitar 2022 will be June 9th through 11th, just outside Chicago at the Lincolnshire Marriott resort for the in-person And the price for the in-person is going to be $595 U.S. dollars. And if you would like to attend the conference virtually, it is going to be $395. And Lori, can you just tell us what is the difference between attending in-person versus online? Yeah, I mean, so there is a bit of a difference. We really had an
1: idea of making it manageable Mm -hmm. for folks who are not attending in-person but there is still a really wide range of, of content available. It's most of the content that you can get in person in a slightly different format. There is one virtual workshop as opposed to in person you can choose and you'll get all of the keynotes, the general session that goes for both in person and virtual And then you'll also have access to all of the concurrent tracks. So everybody will have access to all of the concurrent tracks. This is another one of those huge benefits of the virtual format is that, you know, that's always a little bit of a pain point in person is trying to choose which session to allocate your valuable time to because you can only go to one each afternoon. So this time you'll be able to go back and watch the recordings of the ones that you didn't attend. So there will be one of the afternoon sessions, the concurrent tracks will be live for virtual folks, right? So they can join it in real time. It'll be streamed and then all the rest will be recorded. So everybody can catch up in that way.
0: So what I think I hear you saying is that whether you attend it live or in person, you're going to get a nice little packet of recordings after the fact to go back and see the things that you didn't get to see the first time.
1: Right. And there are a few things that you'll get in person, of course, that, that you, we just can't replicate online. We'll have morning practices in community for those who are in Chicago. And of course, there's going to be a wonderful banquet. The final keynote will be from the banquet or right after it. So you'll have to make your own dinner if you're
0: joining us virtually. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laurie, for coming and helping us get ready for this wonderful coming together after a couple of years apart. And thank you to the IYT team for creating both tracks, the in-person and the virtual. As I said before, I know how much work that must be. And we just want you all to know how much we appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much, Amy. It really is a labor of love.
0: Yeah. People don't always realize. They they see the final product and they have no idea. That's a whole year of work for a pretty big team. So let's support IUIT and attend the conference.
1: Hope to see you all there.
0: Hello and welcome. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Maggie Ray, from Vancouver, British Columbia. Welcome, Maggie, so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for inviting me. Maggie, today we're going to talk all about embodied learning, embodied yoga philosophy, Sankalpa, or setting an intention, as well as bhavana, having a visualization. And I think it'd be great to start with setting an intention for our
2: time together today. Would you be willing to chant for us? I'd be very happy to. I'd like to just do an opening chant from the Krishmacharya tradition, linking to the gods, the goddesses, to our teachers, and to Krishmacharya, the teacher of our teachers. Just
1: starting with Om. Shukla o-
3: Shuklam baradaram Vishnum Shashivanan pujam Prasanna vadinantyayete sarva-vik-no-pa-shantaye guru pyastat guru pyasca Namova kamati mahe vrini vrini-mahe-catat-radyau Sri krishna vagisha Samprapta-chakrankana-vashasaram Srinudna-rangendra-yatau-samapitasvam Sri Krishna guru krishnamayam guruvayam Virode-katike-mase Shaptitara-kritorayam Yoga-jayam-krishnamayam vayam ahambhaje. Shri Guru Pio Namaha Hari He O. Thank you, Maggie. Those of us
0: who have the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram as kind of our, our root tradition and have teachers that have come from the KYM. I think we really enjoy starting our sessions with that sankalpa, that gratitude to all of those who've come before us and kept these precious teachings alive for us. So thank you for that. Thank you. Maggie, I feel like in some ways we are soul sisters because we have a very common lifestyle and that we're both for decades teaching at the university for kind of our, our day job. And then we each run our own yoga therapy school, which is, you know, five jobs in and of itself. (laughs) It's like running a master's degree program by yourself in addition to that and i know it's the end of the school year it's april 21st 2022 how about you are you exhausted
2: <laughs> yeah it's yeah end of term and i'm the head of a department so i'm not teaching but it's a lot of administrative things at this time of year and organizational things and it's all beautiful work and it's all part of my dharma. I, I became clear about this many years ago. This is a part of my dharma. It's fed my other dharma of yoga therapy. It's taught me so many things that I probably couldn't have learned in another venue, you know, just being part of a big educational institute and all the processes and all, all of that very helpful. But yes. When it comes to the end of April, and I know that my yoga work will be taking over as of June 13th, I'll be running my yoga school in the summer. I I really look forward to closing this door and opening that other door where I'm completely immersed in my heart work, which is my yoga therapy work.
0: I couldn't have said it more accurately, exactly how I feel. In in some ways, I'm really grateful for the university because I think it offers us a structure for proper education and procedures and policies. And I, I really feel grateful that for 25 years, I've been steeped in academia. And I think it really informs how to
2: run a, a well-run yoga therapy school, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I actually took my my program through the the senate pro- process at my university and unfortunately the our previous government the the present one I'm pretty sure would have allowed it but previous government stopped it at some point and didn't think it was academic enough mm-hmm. to be a graduate program but you know They offered it to me through continuing studies, but I made a very hard choice. I followed my heart, which I've learned I always have to, because if I don't, it will lead to all sorts of trouble, even though my head says, of course you should do this. My heart said very clearly Kid, you're doing this on your own. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so, but I had three years of mentoring. My previous dean is still a good friend of mine. She mentored me. My whole faculty mentored me in the development. So, you know, I've had a lot of beautiful things through that part of my life. And it's done this. So you're, you're making a weaving motion for those of the
0: you're yes. listening. Yeah, so one thing I want to say is that starting in May 2022, we are going to have all of the podcast episodes on YouTube, almost all of them. And going forward, we'll have both the YouTube version for the visual as well as the audio version on all major podcast platforms. So I wanted to say that because I'll be starting to pull things up on the screen and I'll be describing what those are for the people who are listening on the audio.
2: Good to remember that it's not just visual because yeah. I'm very in my, I life. know me too. I make
0: a lot of gestures and I have to remind myself like, oh, So Maggie, one of the things that I found interesting when I sent you questions and you kind of answered them is this idea of embodied learning or embodied education. And I know you wrote a thesis on the importance of this. Could you tell us a little bit about that thesis and why you think embodied learning is so important?
2: Yeah, well, I was very fortunate to go to a a very alternative school for my master's of teaching in Brattleboro, Vermont. And I chose it because in the early 90s, I am that old, um, in the early 90s, when I was looking for a program, again, it was one of those things where I was very guided. I was studying in Quebec, in Canada, I was studying French, because I'd always wanted to learn French. And I made friends with a professor there who told me about this program in Vermont, and it had an experiential learning focus. So. Around that time, I had gone back to my dance career after leaving it, after my first degree in philosophy, I was so in my head and not in my body, I decided I needed to get back into my body. So I started dancing again. So I started teaching English and dance together in, in a summer program that I was hired for in Quebec. Anyway, long story short, I pitched the idea of doing a thesis on this course I had developed in the summer on teaching dance and English together. And my thesis was focused around whole person learning, experiential learning, bringing the body back into education. And it really struck me how, you know, for example, growing up as an Anglican, the Church of England in Canada, you know, we were always kind of taught that the body was this sort of sinful thing. It and, will get you in trouble. It will make you lustful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and all of that. And and I, you know, I, I studied much of that kind of thought in my in, in my philosophy degree and then I was back dancing and I was experiencing all these parts of myself I hadn't experienced in a long time and it, it really occurred to me that it was important for Uh, for language learning in particular, to bring the body into the process to make it more fun, but also to make it easier to actually learn. So I've been very interested in what now is very popular in education. I'm sure it's the same in California. Probably you guys are ahead of us, but, you know, place-based learning, land-based learning, experiential learning, which is all really about bringing the five senses and the whole body, the whole person into education. So I feel like what I was you know, doing in my 20s through, through dance, through learning English, through this course I taught over three different summers at three different institutions in this intensive summer program for <laughs> French Canadians wanting to learn English, that this led very much to the next step of my life, which was yoga. When I discovered yoga, the Yoga Sutras, after years of seeking a spiritual path from a young age, you know, age five, I I think it was the first day of classes at the KYM in November 2001, and just saying, this is it. I don't need to search anymore. The body is part of the process and believing in God is an option. You know, you can be an atheist, you can be a theist. I mean, just the whole thing was so broad and aligned with so much of what I really felt was true that I was just, I decided, I knew it was my path after, after years of seeking. And one of the important features was Patanjali's use of the body in the eight limbs of yoga. I mean, it's it's quite revolutionary. It is. And can I tell you,
0: I, my first time to KYM was in February of 2001. So we were right there and I had the same experience. I was there at something called the silver Jubilee and three days in, I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is it for me. Game over. This is my path here. I am a a daughter of a Lutheran minister and I just knew what you're saying that this was exactly what matched up with my beliefs and my values
2: and what I wanted to do with my life. So it it was, was it visceral for you? I'm trying to bring myself back to that 31 year old Maggie sitting there in Chennai, but I know there was a settling for me that took place over many years. I think initially it was just kind of relief that I had come home after, you know, so much searching like I uh, experimented with Christianity and then and then mystical Christianity as a way to try to hold on to my childhood religion and, you know, the cultural aspects with that. And then Hinduism and yoga sutras in particular kind of solved it all for me. It was like, oh, I get it. Christ was God realized. He was a yogi. Oh, okay. And, and oh, uh, non-dual philosophy. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately God might be a concept that you know we transcend but we experience through bhakti through prayer through all these embodied practices and that's okay too at the same time there's this other possibility which is just experiencing the one ananda bliss light without a you know more personal relationship So I just saw that all of these things were possible and that my childhood religion was correct and right and there was nothing wrong with it. It was beautiful. But I was looking for a container that would contain all the paths of the world that I'd studied with as much cohesion and integrity with what I felt was true. Beautifully said.
0: Could not agree more beautifully said. So you have had this embodied education, this embodied learning. You understand that it's not just in your mind. It has to filter through every cell of your body. You go to the yoga mandaram, you found a home. And at some point you start teaching what you're learning And what you called it when we were discussing it is embodied yoga philosophy. So tell us about embodied yoga philosophy, because I think this is the next step of the yoga world. We're just little babies or teenagers doing asana for the most part, at least in the the Western world. And, And now people are getting interested in pranayama. They're getting interested in philosophy. They're getting interested in meditation and mantra. But you were doing it as
2: early as what, two thousand nine? Maybe, who knows? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, well, it, I mean, it's hard to hard to say when it all began. But I, I mean, I started teaching yoga in this tradition in two thousand two when Mr. Desikachar sent me home from Chennai after that first six months, and told me to go home and teach i hadn't planned to teach i was just there Mm -hmm. for my own healing and I had a call that told me to go basically is what happened an inner call that said go to the source I was in my source studying Ashtanga Vinyasa because that had been part of my path since age 25 at dance school was this very vigorous style of, of yoga and something in me said go to the source and I ended up in Chennai because I asked people what's the source of this word Krishmacharya okay where do I find that go to the KYM okay and then I met my teachers and the whole thing happen. So through that process, I was introduced to, at the KYM, I was introduced to the Yoga Sutras, Vedic chanting, of course, pranayama meditation, and all of it really had a different flavor than I had experienced in other traditions. There was lots of visualization, there was lots of opportunities to make it part of yourself, and I guess when I started teaching, I guess that this is really the main point when I came home and started teaching, I, what am I going to teach <laughs> <You know? laughs> given all of this? People sign up for a yoga class. They expect to move. So I was like, okay, well, I know how to do that. I was a dancer. I know how to move. You know, I, that part, I, that, that seems the easiest part for me of all. Of yes. <laughs> so I can do that. But how am I going to weave this richness of everything I've been given into what I teach? Because my students aren't going to be signing up for, like I did in Chennai, you know, okay, well, I have my one private class of yoga asana, then I go to my Vedic chanting class, then I go to my yoga sutra class. That's not going to happen, except for a very, you know, few people. So I started experimenting with weaving in the yoga philosophy into my asana classes, using them for, in particular, using the sutras, weaving those in, adding visualization to those, linking them to movement concepts. So for example, when we were doing forward bends, well, what happens when you do a forward bend? Well, we know that we get relaxed, right? So we know that. I mean, that's yoga therapy one-on-one. You do a four bend, it will help you be, feel more grounded and less anxious and all those kinds of things. Okay. Assuming your hamstrings and low back aren't too tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> yes, yes, and of course, we can modify with a chair. You can sit in a chair, you can you know, use a wall, you can use a table, all those kinds of things we're trying to get to a place where we can let go of the mind and sink into the body and physiologically you know our our we know our nervous system down regulates our heart rate slows down when the head goes lower than the heart all of that happens so how is this related to anything in yoga philosophy well it's in a simple way it's related to letting go Okay, so how does that relate to any of the Yoga Sutras, for example? And it occurred to me it was very related to Ishwara Pranidhan, Chapter 123 in the Yoga Sutras, surrendering to what is, you could say, to wisdom itself, Ishwara, the source of all wisdom, surrendering to the moment, you know, trying to translate these things, say these things in a non religious way so that no matter who is in my class can link to it. So when I boiled it down, it became just kind of letting go.
0: Mm. You know, I have a beautiful quote here. I knew you would bring up Ishvar Pranidhana. And I love this quote from Deskachar. It says, The relationship we have developed with the fruits of our actions is ishvara pranidhana so letting go of expectations letting go of certain outcomes we expected you know
2: yeah that's really talking a lot about kriya yoga right which is something i definitely weave into my classes you know that last step of kriya yoga is is letting go of the fruits of your actions and It's strange when I teach now, I'm studying yoga philosophy, right? I'm doing my classes with Mr. Schroeder, my my teacher I met in 2001, and I've been with him since that time. And I have, you know, a class once a month with him. And I'm, you know, going through my yoga sutras very, very, very slowly, because I ask a lot of questions. And something we'll talk about will end up in one of my yoga classes so yoga class with me is not just doing asana it's you know talking about these concepts so this past winter term when i was teaching back arches it occurred to me that i could link this with the concept of kriya yoga empowerment i could actually link it with empowerment empowered action what's an empowered action empowered action is one where you think about what you're going to do swadhyaya then you give it your all tapas and then kesarasara. sara whatever happens happens and that is you know also the main message of the gita karma yoga so Ishwar Pranidhan. pranidan there's a lot of that in the sutras and yeah it's a really powerful message to emphasize that we're not just becoming doormats through this process not surrender and be a doormat <laughs> yeah, don't surrender and be a doormat. But you're letting go of the fruits of your actions, understanding that you, with your free will, have decided what to do and decided from a place of contemplation, you know, of deep knowing, swadhyaya. Then, with your discipline, which you develop through your practice, through your lifestyle, through your, you know, everything you go for it and then there's something bigger than you at play and you can call that god you can call it life you can call it the interconnection of all that is yeah and i really think that that process that kriya yoga process that's what makes us powerful the more we can practice that that, that's so really it. To back arches yeah to, you know all these power poses right bringing in you know science about power posing and you know all Amy Cuddy and yeah.
0: social psychologist from Harvard you know this is reminding me I used to work at Lake Arrowhead Resort on Sunday mornings and the pet class would always be packed and One day, you know, I'm teaching asana and talking about concepts like this. And one of the ladies in the front row says, we're here for the sermon. (laughs) And it occurred to me, like, that's the beauty of combining yoga philosophy inside of an asana class. They're getting to move. They're having that embodied learning. But much deeper seeds are being planted in, in the psyche and in the heart at the same time. I love what you said earlier about embodied learning and teaching English while moving. It's the same thing. And research is starting to show this now that if kids study for a math test while on a stationary bike versus study for a math test, sitting at a desk, they score much higher by studying for it on a bike. (laughs) Right. And so it's just such a beautiful way to get the philosophy in there deeply
2: and then you know i often will like with my videos with my online classes one of the gifts of covid is i now have all these online classes on a youtube <laughs> channel that anyone can look at and you know I'll, I'll take things from a class where i've taught a concept or something i'll copy and paste that into the notes on the class so that if people do want to study more they can i tell them which sutra it is and i say the words and you know just to give people a bit more if they if they want to go there sometimes after class. I'm back in person. I have one in-person class now. And people will stop you after class and just want to know more. But interesting always to hear what has landed for each person. This is something Mr. Schroeder always emphasizes to me. It's taken me a long time to sort of let go of this. I must pass the mango forward exactly as given to me. He said, this is not going to happen. Every person's vigyanamaya is different. Every person's mind, their values, their samskaras, their vasanas—they're all different. So you are not responsible for that. You, it's a living tradition, right? <laughs> yeah. They'll take. They'll take what they take. They'll take what they're they're ready to take. You offer to the best of your ability what you understand, and then. Again, Ishvara <laughs>
0: I was going to say, it sounds like he's asking you to practice Kriya yoga, yeah. do yeah. your best, Yeah, have clarity to the best of your ability, do your job well. And then whatever gets transferred, it gets transferred.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was a really hard one for me. It's still at times, you know, I, I have this, I just feel this, this responsibility to, mm. you know, I've had the privilege. I mean, how many people get to go to India for, You know, how many years? Multiple times, yeah. Sitting at the feet of masters one on one and take notes and hang out. (laughs) You know, like that's just not a normal experience. So, but don't you think that's the beauty, like of KYM and
0: specifically of Deskachar? You know, some people might critique and say, you know, he didn't stay exactly to the letter of the ancient texts and, you know, but the beauty is, he got this. He understood it's a living tradition. It's here. The whole function of it is to help people suffer less, and it's applied. the The first sutra, you know, welcome to yoga, and it's experiential. And I felt there was a a non grasping, a non egotistical part of him, and also the Kym. Of, of just being able to give and understand that it will be received, however, it will be received, and that's
2: okay. Thank you for actually linking this to atta yoga Sanam. I mean, e- even that concept, I remember basically I spent my first two years on the first four or five sutras. I was just that's thinking, all you need to know, right? <laughs> I was kind of like obsessed by them. <laughs> And yeah, I mean it's just brilliant that that sutra. You know, wake up, Atta, wake up, Atta, wow. Anushasanam. I'm, I'm going to say something really important, and what it is is that I'm going to teach you something that you can only learn by doing. This is not a jnana. This is an Anushasanam. Yeah. You know this is an experiential learning that you have to go through that really reminds me i remember when i started studying yoga philosophy one-on-one with my teacher mr streeter and i just said you know i decided not to go the route of becoming a philosopher academically i went the route of becoming an applied linguist i left my first degree philosophy because I thought I was becoming a horrible person and I was becoming depressed. I had like existential angst and <laughs> depression. Okay,
0: okay, but how many yoga people are also like that? It, I mean, it, I just had a conversation today. Like, what are we really doing here? Are we fighting over historical this and that? Like, I'm I know, here to help it's... people feel better and yeah. suffer less and and other people can do that, but that, I think it's okay to just say we are here to help people experience the fullest potential of themselves through the experience of yoga. Like that's important.
2: That includes philosophy. Yeah. That includes philosophy. Cause what Shrider said to me is this will all be applied to your life. Yep. He said, Every single sutra we do will not be an intellectual process. It's going to be applied to your life and the lives of your students. And he said this, I mean, I was just like totally incredulous how this was all going to happen, but he's, he's like, you know, you'll be teaching, you'll be delivering yoga therapy. Once I got, you know, more towards the end of my training, a couple of years in, he said, you'll be delivering a yoga therapy session and you They'll ask you something and you will basically give them an answer that is a yoga sutra, even though you might not say the sutra because the person wouldn't care less about the Sanskrit and all of that. But he said it will help you guide someone on their path, more than just physically, but emotionally and and spiritually, the whole person again. So it's not this thing that, yeah. when people start debating about things to do with yoga, like in this very highly intellectual way, I just, I I disengage. (laughs) It's just like, you know, you miss the whole point. (laughs) You know, in chapter three of the Yoga Sutra, and I just taught
0: this last night to my students, it basically says that when you embody it and when you have deeply learned it as it applies to you that is when you will understand your client or your patient or your student you you can't go out and be like i'm going to learn how to help them i'm i'm good in here but i got to i need to get a yoga therapy degree to understand how to help students it's just the opposite. You understand yourself deeply. It becomes embodied within you. And magically, you're really good at helping other people Yeah, because of that experiential learning. I think that's so critical because when we're going to help students and I'm going to get this piece of paper to help students, it's out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a framework that is somewhere out there that I'm trying to link with and then impress onto this student versus I've lived it, I've learned it, I've felt it, I am it. And maybe I can pass that on experientially to another person. Those are very, very different to me. What do you think?
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Just two things come to mind when you, when you say that. So one is I'm thankful for all the suffering I've had in my life, physically, emotionally, and otherwise, as a road of of learning i mean it you know i've had i I think i'm an experiential learner so that's the way life had to do it for me i had to learn through just overcoming all sorts of problems physically and emotionally and and otherwise and continue to be a work in process I, i would like to add i'm certainly not at the end of this And that all helps me, you know, those yoga therapy laboratory sessions that I have, you know, when I'm in my practice and just experimenting with something physically or emotionally or otherwise energetically, those learnings I'm able to pass on and they become my own rather than someone else's. But I think what's happening now, and I'd like to hear if this is also true for you, because you've been at it a long time. What's happening now is that I can work with people who have ailments or conditions that I haven't experienced, and I'll have a sense of what to do. Now, I do check those intuitions with my teacher when it's outside of my experience, because it's my training to do that. Uh, just has a verification, and and I just figure, why not? I mean, Schrader study with sure How long? I, you know, it'd be kind of good to check this out. Yeah. It feels like about ninety nine percent of the time now. He says, "Yeah, you're on the right track. Go for it." Like, well, and I think you know this
0: concept that we're discussing comes from Chapter Three, which is kind of listing the special powers, if you will, I don't really like that word, but the intuitions or the, the, the ways of having knowledge and wisdom that maybe are not traditional in a university or through a book, it's a felt sense, maybe kinesthetic knowing that that is a city power. That is what chapter three is talking about, right? That, that deep intuition that comes from connection with the buddhi mind for many decades it gives you information that isn't linear it isn't it isn't book knowledge right Mm -hmm. it's a deep understanding of the human condition of suffering and how it manifests and i i think that's what you're talking about
2: yeah i i think yeah, that's cool. I haven't re- I hadn't really linked it to the Siddhis, the those powers. I, I think yes, you could definitely look at it that way. I was thinking more just generally speaking, Vivekam, like just that. Mm. That, that but just, isn't that the Siddhis? Vivekam? Yeah, um, I, I think of Vivekam as being a little bit Broader, but I'm sure they link to the cities. I mean, they definitely link to the cities. But yeah, just, just the, the development of that immediate knowing rather than knowledge that comes from measuring pramana, you know, from measuring and measuring things correctly versus knowledge that comes from the inside as the kleshas decrease and the vivekam increases. I completely agree with that statement.
0: And I think the knowing or the settling that you and I each had the first time we came to the KYM in 2001 is also another way. Maybe my clashes were still very high and flaring and I didn't have much clarity, but there was an inner knowing. There was something deep inside that said, this path is for you.
2: Yeah, that's the strange thing about me, and probably you as well. You know, you you also were brought up in a in a spiritual environment. I think it's a great gift to have been brought up in any spiritual environment with righteous parents. You know, who I mean, no one's perfect, but I was say
0: were, did their best, <laughs> did their best,
2: right? <laughs> tried, you know, best. tried very hard to be wonderful people. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You know, I try hard to be a good person and I'm not always a good person. Yeah, either, that's right. right? So for, I, I just don't have kids to tell me. So I only have my students, but yeah, I think you're, you're brought up in that environment and it, it, it develops. And it can happen other ways too. Of course, it develops an ability to know beyond the mind. And I think I've been interested in that process since I was quite young. You know, even when I was studying philosophy, I, Uh, In my undergrad, I was studying philosophers who were questioning thinking as a process and other ways of knowing uh, through art and poetry and that kind of thing. So despite all of my obvious khalashas that I still have, that part was somehow developed in me, that ability to know what to do. So it's...
0: Yeah, but I think uh, that's yoga, right? Isn't that the essence of what we're doing is connecting with that something inside of ourselves, listening to it, taking it seriously like you did when you discovered that your yoga therapy school was going to be you yourself and (laughs) your husband or whoever else would help out, that, that you listened to that. You, you just knew like, okay, that's what I got to do. And I don't think that comes for everyone easily. I I think a lot of people spend a lifetime trying to get in touch with that and hear that voice and follow through. I mean, that's the hard part, right? (laughs) Some people hear it, but they don't follow through. I think that is the essence of what we're hoping people can do is get that clarity and follow through very similar to the Bhagavad Gita.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting how both of us have that, I think, you know, probably before we practiced yoga, but, you know, this points to the fact that the the experience of yoga connecting with who you really are is universal. It's a universal experience. It's not necessary to do asanas or pranayama or any of these practices to have that experience of a deep connection with who you are really are beyond the mind. So the mind settles enough so that you can actually feel your heart. And yeah, I suppose, you know, as you said before, that is a city in a sense that perhaps you're born with from past lives, but yoga promises, if we do these practices that will increase. And I don't know if you've experienced a sense of your inner wisdom increasing or your ability to just know things has increased over time. I don't know. I, I'd be yeah. curious. Well. Before I say anything about that, I just want to say that
0: even though I had that deep inner knowing since I was young, nobody had given me permission to follow it. And when I finally discovered yoga through the KYM tradition, and I had been doing yoga in other traditions prior to that, it felt like Deskachar and all that he was teaching gave me permission and said, Hey, that's the goal. Listen to that. Go in that direction. It's it's good, you know. So that was such a relief to me to, to have someone say, Yeah, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> With regard to your other question, I a little bit try not to get wrapped up in what is my intuition telling me? Did I follow it? Did it work out? Like I kind of that that worries me a little bit. I just try to stay embodied and do what i feel is right in any given moment and that's it that's the whole process am i in my body usually if i'm outside of my body it's up into the right and if i can pull myself back down in a lot of times it's still kind of over to the right and i have to embody my left side and then i can work from that place what should i do how am i feeling does this feel right does this do I need to communicate something? What am I missing? How can I feel uncomfortable? And that's the whole of the process. And I I have no idea if I'm getting more clarity or not. I just know that that's what I have to do every day about 17 times an hour. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) How about
2: you? (laughs) Well, I like how you gave an example of how you just come back in into your body. You know, it's funny after teaching dance and (laughs) experiential learning and writing a thesis in my 20s and all these things. I mean, I think myself, I, I have experienced at many times in my life a split between my mind and my heart, my mind and my body. And through yoga, but also somatic-based therapy that I've done since 2010. And now there's a deep awareness in me that my emotions are going to have a manifestation in my body. And if I just link to that, I can actually watch a shift, I would say, observe a shift. So for example, I just started teaching this, this term, it just came out of my own therapy process where my therapist had me touch my heart and tell her what I was feeling like physically and then I, you know, told her what I was feeling. And then we went from there. So I'll, I'll just tell you how I brought it into my, my yoga class where, you know, we're teaching heart openers. So upper back, neck, and shoulders. And I'll just uh, ask my students to take their hands and put them on their physical or spiritual heart right in the center and just feel first the physicality of what's going on there. How does it feel? Does it feel tight? Does it feel open? You know, what's, what's, what's going on there? And then, okay, now observe the breath. So what's my breath feel like? Is it feeling short and tight or is it feeling long and smooth? Okay. And just observing each step. I just say, don't shame yourself, just observe. And then I say, okay, now what's going on at the mind level? What, what's the quality of your thoughts? Are you having a lot of thoughts, not many thoughts? Are they racing? What kind of thoughts? And then I say, okay, let that go. And then we do a practice. We do some part, sort of practice in the upper back, neck and shoulders, some sort of heart opening practice with arms, you know, side up all over the place. And then, you know, at some point after probably a four bend as a counter, I'll say, okay, come back, put your hands in your heart. And I bring them through this process again and just watch for any shifts. And that that's grown out of my own practice. I do that in my own practice now as a way to connect, but you're giving me a good example of how to do that more in my off the mat Mm -hmm. practice. And I think... I do that through my mind, observing my mind, my thoughts. I do a lot of kind of CBT stuff a lot. Like, Maggie, why are you complaining? Or why are you putting this person down? What's that about? Like, you know, I just like, like catch my mind going into some drama or some narrative, but I forget to link it to my body. You know, Mm. well, how's my breath? How's my body feel right now? And I think that's really the next step for me is doing that. So thanks for that reminder. Doing it off the mat in as much as I can, you know, making this a a continuous practice. Abhyasa, right? Like that mm. chapter one twelve, continuous practice of being present. Just
0: I, I think this is why I've enjoyed my time at home during the pandemic as much as there has been many many challenges for myself and, and everyone out there being contained in my home with my own routine and, and not a lot of other people around has allowed me the opportunity to come back into my body many times an hour and just feel where am I getting pulled out to what's going on in this body of mine? What kinesthetic sensations are happening after that email or this conversation. Why can't I sleep tonight with my ruminations, but also my body feeling it's buzzing. Like this two years has really allowed me the opportunity to study my own somatic experience as it relates to friends, family, and colleagues and work and it's it's really been an interesting laboratory i have to say and i'm almost afraid to go back out into the world because i'm afraid i'm going to lose it and get all my
2: senses and my mind pulled out again it's a beautiful description of of that process and i think that during covid a lot of yogis and other practitioners were like yeah no problem put me in retreat Right on. Sign me up. <laughs> Tell me I don't have to go to work. Excellent. <laughs> Tell me I or, can stay home. Great. Yeah. yeah, it's been interesting this last, this term, this winter term. We call it spring at my university, but it's a winter term. I've been starting to go back, traveling from my retreat home in the forest to Vancouver, going uh, every second week even the thought of that in the fall, I, I had upper back pain that I hadn't had in years. I mean, my whole like body was like vicing up at the thought of having to leave my serene surroundings and go to the city and, and get back into that, that gotcha. active, <laughs> yeah that very active, active world. Cause it's always been much easier for me to be on retreat than be in that kind of engagement. But, you know, to my pleasant surprise, I have found that after I got through the first trip, the first trip, I felt so exhausted. Like I came home and just collapsed for two days. And I was like, I can't do this every second week. I can't. But, you know, uh, through various life events, I've been brought to the city about every second week recently, and sometimes a bit more, and I'm getting used to it. You know, it's you're reattuning your nervous system, as yeah. Gorgeous would say. Yeah, it's it's just an adjustment, like everything, right? Just remembering that you know you're able, you're competent, you're resilient, and winding your your comfort zone. Uh, something that the treater way teaches the niyamas. He said, "Well, the reason that top that santosha, there's santosha, and then there's tapas in the niyamas, is that you know you need to." You find your comfort zone and then you need to challenge it so that you widen it. Yeah. It's kind of like that flooding thing that, you know, you do in psychology where you put yourself in a situation that terrifies you and you keep extending the amount of time you're there, you know. So it's been, I think in trauma therapy, we call that widening your window of tolerance. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm with you. The post COVID re-entry experience is is harder and it's been the same for me always with traveling like i I never had culture shock entering a culture but i always have had post culture shock re-entering because then you have to integrate the experience of the path like this this time we've been given well how can i integrate this into what i do now like how have i i've changed yeah i've changed And that's okay. And we have all changed. Let's actually, can we actually talk about that? We have changed. We have. And I love what you just said about
0: now there's going to be an integration process. And, you know, a a very tangible example of that is how am I going to continue to feel embodied and listening to my body's wisdom while out in the world? That's a whole new
2: mountaintop to climb for me. I'm I'm already visualizing myself doing <laughs> it, walking the streets of Vancouver, feeling my feet. I mean, I I guess you know, give myself some credit. I have done all these things over these years, but you're making me more aware that that is part of the process. It's not just watching my thoughts. You know, I've I've spent years watching my thoughts, watching my thoughts. What am I thinking? what am I feeling? Those I've done a lot of that, but what am I feeling in my body? It's so funny. I haven't really (laughs) examined that outside of the mat. Like, like, you know, not, Oh, my neck hurts, but you know, like, well, okay. My neck hurts. What's actually, okay. How's my breath. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are the thoughts? Yeah. Uh, What's what, how, how, how is all of it working?
0: You know, I've I've coined this term, maybe somebody thought of it before me, but I haven't seen anyone else say it, embodied mental health care. That's what I'm calling it, embodied mental health care, that our mental health is not just thoughts, it's the somatic experience of our body as we move through the world and that mental health is actually physical health that they are one and the same it's taking you know going back to your philosophy classes it's taking the plato's dualistic idea of body and mind and your body is is not as important as your your mind or your soul if you will and it's saying no they actually are so integrated you can't even take them apart yeah. and that everything that's happening in your mind is actually simultaneously happening in your body.
2: And we know this now from, from the nervous system. We right. know that the nervous system is, I mean, it's localized in some sense with the brain, but it's also non-localized. Your nervous system is throughout your whole body and the enteric nervous system, you know, the gut and then, you know, the, the nervous system, so many of those neurotransmitters in your heart. And, you know, we actually, our body is constantly sensing what's going on in our environment to keep us safe and it's not just all here in our head right
0: and, and isn't that the beauty of yoga and yoga therapy right there just what you said our experience of life is not in our head it's in our body and even what you did for your master's thesis to teach english through dance you know that that's what we're doing in yoga we're we're teaching how to live in this ancient wisdom while moving and feeling and breathing. It's just such a beautiful, unique concept.
2: There's so many ways into it also. I, I always have to remind myself that, you know, for one person, it's just going to be stretching their hamstrings. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that's where most of us started, right? But, and some days when my hamstring is hurting or is tight hamstrings kind of a bad example let's say my hip my hip is hurting because that's something i deal with sometimes you know sometimes it's all about i just i'm gonna do a practice that i know is going to decompress my hips so it doesn't hurt and that's okay that's that's my bhavana that day <laughs> because that's going to improve my quality of life and yay less pain less suffering yes this is part of yoga but on the days where my body is not troubling me, I would say, and on the days, especially when my heart is troubling me, and I use my practice as a salve for my heart. I was going to say a, a balm. I was trying to think of the word. I was like, is that the word? And I now know how to do that. And I can come out of that practice with a bit more ease, and a bit more openness in my mind, not just my body, which spins out into my world, right? Everyone around me, every relationship, every action. So I mean, it's a real gift to have the knowledge of how to heal thyself. And I say that with, as I hope, as little egotism as possible, understanding that that process is also so much bigger
0: than myself. It goes back to having a teacher. I laugh because I can help other people heal their back pain, but I couldn't help myself heal my back pain until my teacher, Gita Shankar from the KYM, helped me heal my back pain, right? So it is... I do the practice every day. I'm a very dedicated student. I spend one to two hours in my practice every single day. But with Gita's guidance, she taught me how to do less, how not to hurt myself in asana by pushing too hard, right? So when you say that, we are healing ourselves. There's this self-empowerment happening, of course, but don't you think it all comes from your teacher and the guidance? of your teacher, or
2: much of it? <laughs> I feel like the way Sridhar has taught me, and I'd also like to acknowledge his wife, Radha, who has taught me so much, and my teacher, Viji Vasu, who has taught me so much, these three amazing teachers. But Sridhar is the teacher for my personal practice. I think for me, and this he did this for me, he would teach someone else differently. Mm -hmm. because of who I was and what I needed yeah every time I go to India I I get an update I get a practice update but a lot of it is he invites me to be part of the process and to use my practice as a window of discovery I guess so, um, as an example, not to be too um, esoteric, <laughs> esoteric, which I can definitely be. So, for example, the night before I got married in 2018, we decided to to do a flipped ceremony where we had the dance the night before the wedding so that when Mm. people were arriving from all over the world etc they could arrive and go to a dinner and a dance and have fun and meet each other before the ceremony the next morning i want i want to Mm. get married on sunday morning i wanted the sun to bless our our union so but that night i was doing the floss dance which uh, was in vogue in 2018 one of my friends dared me to go faster and faster, and I ripped all the fascia on the left side of my hip. And I was just like, I was like completely devastated because I'm like, oh my god, how could I have done this? I now I now called the big joke of the gods. It's like, you want to get married, kid? Take this. Anyway, I hobbled down the aisle the next day and I was like laughing because I just thought it was so like ironic. (laughs) But it took me two years to be out of persistent pain, a little over two years. And I wasn't in India uh, with my teachers and it was before we were doing online classes together. Now we, you know, would have been different. I would have booked them online, (laughs) had a class with them, but I had to go see them at that point still. So I went to see them two years later and I'd been doing all these experiments and all this stuff and I couldn't figure it out. And then Trader gave me a practice and some of it worked and some of it didn't work. And then we had, we started meeting online and then the parts that worked, I kind of discovered through my practice more about how it worked and, and then had conversations with them. So for me, that's been very a good way to teach me is have me really involved in the process of discovery and not like in the beginning, I was always like, okay, I have to do this exactly it was as it was given to me. And and if I'm not, I'm not, you know, being respectful for my of my teacher and I've got to be a good student. And then at some point I said, is it okay if I kind of like figure stuff up, out, out and modify this a bit. And, and he's like, yes. <laughs> can, <laughs> cool. talk to, can I talk to you about that? He's like, absolutely. You know, I share with him with this great enthusiasm that I often have is is like, Look, Trader, what I discovered, I, you know, you know, the, the, I'm on Tassana pose you gave me for my hip. Well, I figured out, yes, it's strengthening, but I figured out how to stretch it and decompress my hip. And that works so much better than having one foot in front of the other in my Deveep Adepidam. I don't know why, but it totally works. And I've taught all these other people and they don't have to go for hip surgery. <laughs> so, you know, and now I'm happy to report that I'm mainly out of pain. Like, very, you know, I have a few episodes here and there, but mainly out of pain through this process of, of discovery. I'm at the point now where I'm I'm starting to feel confident enough in myself to engage in that process with my students and not get intimidated by it. I don't know about you, but I have often felt a little bit intimidated when my student starts to teach me. That's yoga therapy. It's
0: co-collaborative. It's co-creative. It's a co-assessment. We're not diagnosing. We're working together to get clarity about what's happening in that person and who knows better what's happening inside than that person. And I think it goes really back to what I was saying before about this idea of the attention is outward. The senses is outward. And over time we start to live more connected to the internal experience through our daily practice and then into our lives And then we pass that on to our students and teach them how to do that. I mean, that's what you're describing to me is that you took the reins of your own healing with some guidance from your teachers and you embodied it. And and now that's what you're passing on. You're beginning to show your students how to become self-embodied in this co-creative process exactly how you did it with your teacher. Yeah and i think that's what they're saying in yoga anushasanam first you follow a teacher who probably knows more than you do but eventually you take the reins and you experience it yourself and your students experience it themselves
2: yeah i, th- I think you know education is is usually like that when you're a beginner at anything you just you have to take on something, right? So Mm -hmm. the foundation created and usually you're taking in more at that point from the outside, from what someone is telling you or books or courses, and then you start working with it. And then you become an intermediate student at that point, and you start having all these questions. And you start rebelling, and now my teacher doesn't know anything. And I'm like, Oh, you know, this is you know, what I know is so much better. And then at some point, you become advanced. And I always know when someone's advanced because they'll learn like one thing from you in a week, and they're so happy <laughs> you know, it's some big piece that they've been reflecting on for years. And you just went, You just said something, oh, you just Totally clarified something I've been trying to figure out for the last five years, right, so that's just the
3: that's the process of that you know Vi chapter one
2: seventeen you know that process of learning right and it goes
0: back. we can finish where we started to ishvara Pranidhana. we don't know how long that will take for them to learn to become empowered and understand themselves better through our guidance. We don't know what they will end up understanding, what they will still have blind spots about. We don't know which parts of the practice they're going to embrace chanting or asana or philosophy. And it's okay. We are going to give from our hearts through our experience and it will manifest hopefully with goodness, you know, that I do hope for that benevolence, I have come to the point and we'll, we'll close soon. I promise to me, that's what Brahma is, is this ever expanding spaciousness, letting go and and manifestation on multiple layers from mother nature to you and I to everything. It's, it's this planting seeds and see what grows over billions of years.
2: Yeah. And the teacher becomes the student and the student becomes the teacher and one educates the other, you know, it's, as you said earlier, it's a, it's a co-creative process. And I just would add one more piece to that is hopefully you're both connecting to a wisdom greater than either of you, which I definitely call upon as a yoga therapist and in my own practice, especially when I'm outside my comfort zone and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, like starting this session, I wanted to start with the invocation of the teachers because I was feeling a bit nervous and a little, you know, I hadn't, I had hoped to have a practice before we met today, but work had me going till the, the ninth hour. And, and I was like, okay, well just do it now. <laughs> we are which is what I do when I, you know, have that experience as a as a teacher when, you know, I'm in a less than ideal situation, I've, you know, something challenging just happened to me, or I've had a bad couple of days, or I didn't have a chance to do my practice just before I taught or whatever it is. I have to say it's never failed me connecting to that Ishwara, the the source of all the teachers, the teacher of the teachers, the the wisdom itself. And i'm feeling more the need to do that in my yoga therapy sessions without feeling worried that the person will not want me to do a vedic mantra at the beginning but i i'm i don't know about you but i'm leaning more and more towards wanting to open all of my my sessions in that more classical way just to also make it clear to them, it's not just me operating here. I'm facilitating a process that's bigger than me Mm -hmm. and bigger than both of us.
0: Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And I feel that way, even about our conversation today, we had a totally different talk planned about Bhavana and this is not what came out. And that's what did come out. I think has been a beautiful conversation and Maggie, I want, people to know where they can get in touch with you, maybe learn from you. You have this beautiful YouTube channel that people might be interested in. So I'd like to hear the name of that YouTube channel. And I've pulled up your website on the screen here, which is www.yogatherapyinternational.com.
2: But Can you tell us where the the YouTube channel is? So if you go under resources and you go to yoga therapy videos, there they are. So there's Mm. an intro that I finally did. That's my garden out in the wilderness, my garden last year. And then if you keep scrolling down, it's got playlists for the different classes. And each of the classes is now also linked to yoga philosophy. It's not overtly stated here, but Each one of these classes is linked to philosophical and psychological themes.
0: So for example, the the categories for those of you who are listening are classes for legs and feet, classes for hips, classes for low back, upper back, neck, and shoulders, energy and weight management, and mind and emotions. And you're saying that even if it says for legs and feet, there's going to be that embodied philosophy yeah. Learning component
2: while moving. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Each class I weave, I weave yoga philosophy into each class. Beautiful.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us. It was really a pleasure to find a soul sister, you know, not not just from the college professor <laughs> paradigm, but also the the KYM. And I'm just really grateful that you're in my life and that you agreed to come share with us today.
2: Well, thank you, Amy G, as I always call you. Mm -hmm. And I admire you very greatly. And I know you're, you're just a wonderful shining light in this world. And thank you for doing these podcasts. It's wonderful offering to the world. And I feel very honored to have been part of this
0: today. So we might have to have you come back in a year or so and do a Bhavana one. because <laughs> still, I'm still very interested in that topic.
2: So. Well, I have lots I could talk to you about. So happy anytime we can just record a phone conversation and see how it goes. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Maggie. Okay. Take care.
0: Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content and that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at com. Welcome at com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz.